internet and welcome to generations of x the podcast where we discuss the past present and future of all things x-men i am your co-host the uncanny dayspring and i am the adjectiveless flankman and folks this is our third episode and we haven't murdered each other yet it's a miracle i really don't know how we've made it this far i mean it's all because of your love for gene gray that's it it's all because I am neutral on Jean Grey now. You don't have to hate me anymore. But we survived uh, recording the podcast in person last week, and, and we had a ride, and that episode is live right now. And, of course, as always, you can email us any questions at generationsofx at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at generationsofx. I, I just want to talk X-Men with you on Instagram and live my life. I do love talking about X-Men with you. And, and, and speaking about X-Men, uh, we had a pretty big week with Marvel Legends. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, last week we got the Hellfire Club box set in, uh, both of us. And of course, yeah. it is gorgeous. But I got it in before you. You did, but that's because you live on the East Coast and I live all the way down here but in Texas. You always get like orders, shipments, everything before me. So I was just so happy. I got White Queen. Well, I'm, I'm so happy for you. But, all right, so but, how did you feel about the Hellfire box set? I mean, it's only the greatest Marvel Legends release of the last decade. I mean, it, it, it's great. Um, I have to tell you, holding, I, I wasn't that wild about them when I saw them when I saw the photos online and, and the reviews are crazy. You told me I was crazy. And then I held them in my hands and I, that Emma, oh my God, that Emma's great. They're all great. Honestly, I, I was a little bit worried about Shaw and Pierce being the same size. Cause you know, in my mind, Shaw is so much broader than Pierce, but I really in hand, I, I don't notice at all. The only thing I noticed so far as scaling is Emma and Celine or Jean, if you want, are some Amazon women. They are. What's well, their heels? Those are tall heels. I'll allow it. Um, and then the other thing that came in, speaking of Hellfire, were the Hellfire guards. How many did yeah. you order? I ordered four, but I've only <laughs> received two so far. I don't, I, I need to actually check my tracking. I, 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 need, I need four. I need four. It seemed like a good, nice number. Well, I only got two and I got both of them in. I think they were sold out. They were on, sold out. But yeah. they are uh, back up for purchase now. And from what I understand, they are basically going to be made to order from this point on. Don't quote me on that. but I, I'm I, quoting I, you. I'm sending it to press right now. No, that's all right. I mean, we're publishing in a podcast anyway. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we did get the Hellfire Guards because, you know, what uh, the inner circle is nothing if, if not... Um, protected or at least supposedly protected. We know Wolverine can can hack them up, but um, I haven't had a chance to get all of them together yet. I'm really looking forward to uh, arranging some sort of cool display. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I posted a photo on on our Instagram with the Hellfire uh, guards and the Inner Circle, so you guys can check that out. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, I think that wound up being one of our most popular posts. Apparently, our, our followers enjoy toy photography. Ooh, look at that. I'm such a toy photographer. You're a toy influencer. Um, so the other big news with Marvel Legends is, of course, at HasCon. Was it HasCon? HasbroCon? PulseCon. PulseCon. At PulseCon, uh, Dwight at all revealed that we were going to get a house of x series and they revealed professor x moira x and magneto but uh a rumor now is going going on that marvelous news published and and they're pretty spot on with the rumors yeah these are usually pretty accurate they're pretty accurate that the Gosh, I'm so happy right now. I mean, it's so early in the morning and like tears of joy are coming down my face because the rest of the set is supposed to include Cyclops, Brown Costume Wolverine, Marvel Girl, and Omega Red. Oh my God, not Omega Red, Omega Sentinel. Wow. Oh my God. How dare you slight Karima Shapendar like that? Oh my 
God, and look, and I, I was getting, I was getting all ready to shade you, and I called her Omega Red. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, I mean, aside from Moira X, that is uh, essentially what I thought the the wave was going to be. I mean, of course you're going to have Professor X. Of course you're going to have Magneto because that Magneto uh, is going to serve a dual purpose of completing that uh, Bendis uh, Bachalo uh, Uncanny X Men team from a few years ago and of course um xavier you can't you can't have this wave without him and his oversized cerebral helmet but honestly i'm surprised he about looks Moira. Like the maker he looks like the maker he does look like the maker and i can't help but wonder if that's gonna mean something later on um wait i'm not wait, sure wait why are you surprised about moira i mean you can't do a house of x like wave and not have moira well, because her look is so pedestrian, you know what I mean? Like, I was expecting a Moira in her us, yellow. They've, they've given us pedestrian figures before, psych Gwen Stacy. Well, yeah, they've given us one. Well, Gwen Stacy, who else did we have? I mean, look, we've Mary gotten- Mary Jane. <laughs> yes, we've gotten civilian characters before, but usually they're part of a two-pack with, like, a, a more main character, which is, or a more super heroic looking character. Um, and that's why I kind of was expecting that we were gonna get like 90s Jim Lee Moira in her yellow jumpsuit and lab coat. I do agree. I was shocked that they gave us Moira X in that, in the scarf and the hat and not the Jim Lee yellow jumpsuit. I was, really, I was really anticipating that Moira would be coming with like a Jim Lee Banshee because he is also a highly requested character. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It was I'm Banshee. Happy. I'm happy that we're getting Moira X. I have no, or Moira 10, whatever you want to call her. I have no problem with that. I just hope that um, Dwight or somebody at Hasbro, here's my pleas for a Monet with penance swap parts at some point in the near future. They've already got the hands from the Scream female symbiote figure that they released a couple years back. Like, we know they love to reuse parts. They've already got parts ready for it. A House of X line seems like the perfect place to slaughter Monet at this point. So I'm a little sad we're getting Moira, not Monet, but of course it makes total sense. Yeah, I, I mean, this was a wave I too. I mean, with the exception of the Build-A-Figure, I thought it was going to be Krakoa. But I, look, I love that costume for Cyclops. I think he's an easy make. Wolverine, of course, we were going to get a Wolverine. You know... We knew we were going to get Jean. Here's the thing about Jean in this costume. I don't like it. I love her X-Men Red costume. I love the variant they did for it during the Giant Size X-Men series. However, Marvel Girl, it just feels a little outdated. I mean, I get why we're going to get Jean in this costume. But you know what? To your point, and I'm only saying this once, only once, I would have rather have gotten M or a Cypher. Um, and I don't know. I'm just... It feels like a waste of a slot. I don't like this costume. It's outdated. It's iconic. I mean, yeah, she shouldn't be walking around in it now, but you're saying we shouldn't be getting this costume at all? Well, I mean, look, what does this costume represent is what I want to ask. Swinging 60s. So Jordan, D. White, and Hickman were like, oh, why would Jean be in this costume? And for the longest time, we thought that Jean had, you know, restored an earlier backup of herself before she was a phoenix. So I was a little nervous with this costume going into it. Like, I want my jean fully intact and sigh, you know? I mean, look, that doesn't seem to be the case, but I'm not wild about this costume. I understand. I understand. That's it. it. But anyway, I have have some additional thoughts on this costume for when we uh, discuss the cable number five, the Ten of Swords crossover a little bit later in this episode. So I'll hold my thoughts. Oh my God, you hold your thoughts? Hell has frozen over. I, I, I know. <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, while we're on the subject of toys, unless there's anything else you want to add for our little Marvel Legends discussion here. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. All right, perfect. Well, well folks, we're going to be uh, introducing a brand new reoccurring segment today. Uh, it is called What the X. And uh, to give you a little history on, on what this segment is going to be, I want you to close your eyes real quick and visualize. It's do Christmas. I have to close my eyes? I do. I guess. Close I your eyes. No. Close your eyes. Everyone's closing their eyes. Except I mean, if you're driving or walking. Right, right. If you're actually up and about, don't close your eyes. But don't do that. For the rest of you, picture it. Christmas, 1994. 
Oh. You're a huge X-Men fan, and you're expecting Santa to bring you all your favorite characters in action figure form. Cyclops, Gambit, Storm, mm. Slayback. <gasps> Who? Exactly. <gasps> Folks, as you know, we here at Generations of X are huge fans of the classic 90s X-Men line from Toy Biz. Huge. And one of the hallmarks of that line was their tendency to include, mm, how do I put this nicely? Uh, one-hit wonders, <laughs> Z-listers, um, people, you know, you never heard of. Um, and they always made them over uh, characters like Shadow Cat or even a standard Jim Lee, Jean Grey. So, you know, I thought since we'll be talking those kind of A-listers, like literally every single week, uh, it might be fun to take a moment every so often to acknowledge those characters that Never really took off anywhere, but will forever stay iconic to kids of the 90s like Dayspring and myself mm -hmm. in a segment we call What the X. What the X? So, yeah, I wanted to uh, kick things off with a character that, honestly, I don't think I've ever encountered anywhere. Anywhere I, but as an action figure. I didn't know he was actually a cyborg or, you know, a mutate. I thought he was a mutant. So when we were talking about him, when we were planning the segment, I, you know, I Googled him and I, I was shocked. I wanted to see if he survived Wanda's uh, No More Mutants wave. And he is not a mutant. He is not a mutant. He's not a mutant. Um, and, you know, we've already kind of established that uh, my memory isn't as good as yours. You know, my memory with the details. But, mm. um, yeah, after I was researching this segment, I can definitively say that I have never, ever read anything featuring this character, uh, despite the fact that I've owned him for over 26 years at this point. So, um, with that being said, let's talk some Slayback. So... For those of you who don't have this garishly colored action figure in front of them, like I am fortunate enough to, he's, like, like Dayspring mentioned, he's this cyborg-like creature with this super ugly pale yellow skin. Um, he's got these crazy so eyes, crazy, crazy eyes with like mech that looks to uh, hold them open permanently. The poor guy doesn't look like he can blink. Um, you know, his action feature is described on the packaging as extending biomechanical arms, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds really exciting, but in sounds reality, cool. it only amounts to pushing these little buttons uh, on his arms and they, they shoot out a tiny bit and then you push them back in and you start all over again. Just really, really exciting stuff. But uh, yeah, honestly... You know, if I didn't know any better, just looking at his face with the mech on his eyes uh, and his yellow skin color, I would think that this was some sort of bipedal mojo with abs, you know, like a mojo <laughs> with, with legs up and walking around. But um, no, as it turns out, Slayback here is a nemesis of Deadpool who <gasps> made his nemesis. Nemesis! Uh, yeah, he made his debut all the way back in the first issue of Deadpool's first ever solo miniseries all the way back in 1993. Um, now, I read all these books so I can give you a little bit of history on him. Uh, he was revealed to be a past victim of the Merc with a Mouth, who was mysteriously brought back to life and transformed by Weapon X into Slayback, a super strong cybermorph with the power of healing. Um, you know, obviously the power of healing, not too surprising. That seems to come as a free gift with purchase to all Weapon X characters. Everyone who Every participates one. in that program gets a healing factor. Yeah, you know, and I read these issues and honestly, y'all, the only thing exciting about Slayback at all is that he was one of the very first characters to be designed by the iconic X artist, Joe Matarera. Joe Mad. Joe Mad. Um, yeah, his second ever gig for Marvel was that Deadpool mini. So um, he, he, that's probably, you know, why he got made. But we'll get into that in a second. I don't really know what else there is to say. You know, he's made seven inconsequential appearances across 27 years. He dies uh, in most of them, right? I mean, he, he does. Well, that's, he he's like the, the Kenny of, of X-Men. He, he is. He is. He, he dies in most of them. And then he's mysteriously back to life with no explanation um, in the next issue, it must be a Rick Memender comic. Um, oh, shade. 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 I wasn't ready for that. I know, right? It's a little too early for you to respond to that kind of shade. But 
Um, but for Slayback, you know, he's made seven, like I said, he's made seven inconsequential appearances across 27 years, you know, and all of them, every single one was in a Deadpool or a Wolverine book. And uh, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not super into either of those characters. So uh, the fact that he's only appeared in those kinds of books really goes a long way towards explaining why I've never come across him in my copious amounts of comic book reading. Um, he had no appearances on the animated series. In fact, the only other thing I could find, and I, I really had to refresh my memory on this one, um, he actually did get a card in the, uh, the 1994 X-Men uh, Fleer Ultra trading card series that I think yeah, that was I'm the one we were talking that. about la in our first episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the one now, I think in our first episode, I said the heroes were red and the villains were purple. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out there are multiple card series mm -hmm. that that could apply to. So the 1994 yeah. series was the first one that had um, the painted artwork. Was that the one you were talking about? Yeah, I was talking about the painted artwork. Okay, so you were like... talking about like the Rogue one where she basically had a super wedgie. <laughs> oh, poor Rogue. Poor, yeah. poor Rogue. Um, yeah, so, you know, Slayback here is actually rendered pretty convincingly by Glenn Barr. Who did... Oh, yeah, look at him there. I forgot about this card. His yeah, clothes I are like too. coming out, they're popping out from the, to the viewer. Yeah, yeah. Great. I mean, it's, it's a great... It's a great piece of art. Um, and Glenn Barr did a lot of the cool stuff in that series. So shout out to Glenn Barr. But, shout out. you know, there's really not a whole lot we can, we can say about Slayback here. He really didn't go anywhere. So to sort of, you know, close out this segment, um, we're always going to answer two questions. Why we think this character was made? And would we like to see them brought back in the Hickman era or even beyond? So... I'm going to throw it over to you, Dayspring. Okay. Why do you think we got a slayback figure? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say why I think we got a slayback figure. And if you read Deadpool, The Circle Chase, which I didn't know until I looked up the covers and the series, I read that back in the day. And it was a fun series. The, uh, uh, the series is written by Fabian Nicieza. Uh, are, are you sure about that? Are you sure it wasn't the, uh, the anonymous janitor at Marvel that Rob Liefeld said could have co-created Deadpool? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Fabian. Let's take oh. a look. He's a, he's a very talented janitor, apparently, but, but please, <laughs> continue. Um, and it starts off with Deadpool uh, in search of bounty. Yeah, it was Fabian Nicieza. Uh, and Joe Mad. Um, so it starts off with Deadpool trying to track down uh, an inheritance, a loot, and he's being followed by a whole swarm of people. And you have Juggernaut, Black Tom Cassie, Copycat. Like, it's just such a fun, crazy book. The art is on point. So my feels is that the miniseries must have been well-received by, by fans. And the reason why we got the Slayback figure was because they thought he was going to be bigger than he actually was, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, and I think what it really boils down to is, you know... And don't forget, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but I was going to say, don't forget that Toy Biz probably got the designs for Slayback before he actually ran in the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say, is that, you know, they probably got the concept art um for him well in advance of these issues being released and they probably just saw this kind of gross cool looking guy and were like yes yes the boys are gonna love this and you know what i did i did i know nothing about him i mean i do now um makes me like him more um but wait he was in the same wave as extreme Right in the same wave. It's it's fun. I actually that one wave has given me so much I fodder for this segment. I'm really looking for like the X Men. I'm sorry, the X Force subline of the Toy Biz X Men series is gold for these sorts of characters. So and we're gonna have a lot of fun with this for it sure. Is a gold mine, and that wave also had a scuba diving like cable. Yes, yes, yeah. it did. You know, all these sorts of fun Cable and Wolverine variations that never appeared in the comics. <laughs> um, speaking of appearing in comics, uh, what do you think? Should we bring Slayback back in the Hickman era? Oh, no. I don't know. 
I mean, look, if, no. if someone can write him really well, I'm not going to deny a whole generation of X readers to being exposed to Slayback. I, I just, here's, here's the thing. If he's not interesting enough to have appeared regularly in Deadpool titles ever since we've gotten 50 Deadpool titles a month, then he's probably not an interesting character. There's probably well, here's not the thing. Do we anyone need, can do with him. Do we need another Weapon X alumni with claws no. who can heal themselves? No. Probably not. Nope. No. Nope. All right. So I'm with you. Next. Sorry, Slayback. Sorry, Slayback. Sashay um, away. So, yeah, you know, check out our Instagram in the coming days for some shots of this bag boy in action. I'll also get a reading list for Marvel Unlimited together. And uh, I'll be sure and post a trading card, too. Um, wow. I definitely think he was a badass if, if the trading card was your only frame of reference. So if you have no frame of reference for Slayback, only pay attention to the trading card. Before we dive into the books, I have my own segment that I want to do called X Quotes. And since Flickman and I were together for 48 hours straight and all I did was quote X-Men to you from the second you picked me up at my, literally from the second you picked me up at my hotel to dropping me off at the airport, I thought this would be such a fun segment. You're just gonna, you just wanna make me look bad in front of our listeners, don't you? Oh, Flickman, I, I don't have to try hard for that. I'm gonna let you have that one. <laughs> it is too early for me to, to come up with a sassy retort to that. So I'm gonna let you have it, Dayspring. Okay, okay, so here are the rules. I'm going to give you three quotes. Okay. They can be from anywhere in the X-verse, comic books, movies, TV shows, and you have to tell me who said it. Oh God, okay. You can ask for a hint for only one of them. I, I think these are pretty obvious, but if you get stuck, I'll give you a hint. But again, only one hint for all of them. Okay. I know this isn't your forte, so you need at least two right answers to win. And if or I- what? Huh? Or what? You're or threatening what? me? Well, here, here. <laughs> I'm threatening you at well, 7.45 your time, 8.45 mine. I don't want to hear about how early it is for you, buddy. Like <laughs> the sun is not even okay, up. Okay, look, look, look. If I win, you have to read an issue or an arc of my choosing, and vice versa. If you win, I have to read an issue of an arc of your choosing. Okay. Okay, okay. that sounds fair enough. And we can discuss it, and we can discuss it. And this is a great way of discussing back issues that probably wouldn't be on our radar uh, since we're discussing the books and everything. And okay. since there's so much of them. So, okay, three different quotes. You have one lifeline in the form of a hint. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. All right, your first quote is, and I'm going to try to say this quote without like an accent for the character or anything because I don't want to, I want to try to sound like the character. My psychic abilities have discovered a creature with more power than even you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, there could, it could be so many people. No, this is so easy. This is an easy one. I mean, is it Gene? You, I, is that, are you asking for a hint? No, uh, no, no, no. I, oh. Thanks. Eh, wrong. No! Emma Frost in Dazzled, the Dark Phoenix saga adaptation on the animated series. <sighs> It's when she walks in, uh, in the inner circle, and she goes, my psychic abilities have discovered a creature with more power than even you can't imagine. I mean, when you use... <laughs> Do it. Yeah. So I thought I, you I were going to get that one. That's I really... I should have. I should have, and I'm embarrassed. And, you know, that is the purpose of this whole segment, I'm sure. But let's, let's not focus too much on my failures, and let's... Right, it's fine. It's fine. You have two more. You have yes, two yes. Two more. And I think these are really easy. I picked that you think. Ones. You think they're all really easy. I think these are all this this next one, I'm gonna say it and you're gonna get it like that. Are you ready? We'll see, we'll see. All right. <clears throat> Our next quote is the sun in the box. The sun in the box. <laughs> How do you not get that? How? How do you not get that? Because I don't Listen, listen, I memorize these stories. I memorize what characters are in them, what they do, probably what they're wearing, but their exact dialogue, I, I don't know. The sun in the box. The sun in a box. 
The sun in a box. The sun in a box. Saying it over and over is not going to make me. Well, get because it. the character says it over and over again. I. You have to give a hint. You, you want a hint? What's the hint? What's the hint? What's the hint? Okay. I'm going to give you a really good hint. Murder at the mansion. Oh, so I was going to say Zorn, but it would be somebody talking about Zorn. Beak, maybe? Is it Beak? I mean, is that your final answer? That's my final answer. I know I'm wrong. And wrong. It's Sage who's on the floor and Bishop comes to rescue her. And she keeps saying the sun in the box, the sun in the box. Because she had discovered who yes. it was. It was at, after the cliffhanger of the previous issue where a gun was pointed at her. Yes, yes. That's all coming to me now, of course. I love murder. That to me. Okay, well, you already won. Do we have to embarrass me with a third quote? Or well, let's I think so, because I love this quote. This quote. Love embarrassing me. Love this quote. Okay. All right, you ready? <sighs> but, but a man gets a certain look in his eyes when he's fishing for omens, when he's trying to nerve himself up to do something that he knows deep down is wrong. Come on. Emma? You were talking about this. You were talking about the quote. This appears and you were talking about last week or in our first episode. But what? I talk about a lot of stuff. Ooh, this game sucks. I don't want to play. What's your, okay. What's your favorite crossover? Oh, second coming. Oh, no, no. Messiah <laughs> complex. Messiah complex. Sorry. Okay, it's, what, what's the prelude? I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that question. What's the prelude to your, to your favorite crossover? Endangered species. Okay. Okay, so this so quote appears in Endangered Species. I'm going to go with Beast, and I'm just going to be wrong. Three for three. It's it, Wanda. Well, it's Wanda. I, oh, I don't know no. if it's Wanda, but it's Doombot Wanda. <laughs> you know I don't pay attention to Wanda. You should know better. I, I can't even with you. Anyways. I'm sorry. I failed. Okay. You failed. So since you failed, you have to read an issue of my choosing, and you're going to have to talk about it next week. Sure. What, what, lay it on me. What, what's my punishment? The X-Men Red Annual. I've already read that. That's not a punishment, but I'll do it. I'll do you it. You have to reread it. You have to reread it. You have to reread okay. it. Okay, I'll reread it, and I'll have lots of thoughts. All right. That's not a punishment. I like it. So, great, great. Let me, let me just take note of my punishment. <laughs> X-Men Red Annual. Got it. Got it. Right there. And you're going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can, I can always talk comics, so... Um, I, I, I'm sorry I let you down. I will, I will try harder for the next one. Maybe we won't record the next one so early in the morning, so my brain will be uh, a little more on. Um, but yeah, speaking of talking comics, should we, uh, should we do a little of that? Let's move into the weekly books. All right, time to dive into this week's comics. We'll be discussing Hellions number five, New Mutants number 13, and Cable number five. So let's kick it off with Hellions number five, which is chapter six of the Ten of Swords crossover. This issue is written by Zeb Wells with art by Carmen Carnero, and the colorist is David Curiel. We open up at the hatchery on Krakoa where Manuel de la Rocha, a.k.a. Empath, is being resurrected. And, and, and folks, he is not nice about the whole thing. In fact, he's a total tool to both the professor and Hope. Flickman, has he always been this much of a dick? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's um, some classic New Mutant stories where he's um, emotionally manipulating one of his teammates into a relationship with him. Uh. Yeah, it, it's pretty standard. Like, it hasn't always been quite like this, but yeah, he has an established history of being a huge tool. We then cut to the Quiet Council where Mr. Sinister has the brilliant idea of rigging the tournament by not allowing the Iraqi the privilege of battle, suggesting his Hellions steal Araco's swords first and force a forfeit. The council thinks this is a solid plan and agree, but they're like, LOL, Sinister, you have to go too. And his face cracks because he's like, what the fuck? I have to go? We then get a brief scene of the Hellions in their HQ, which is named the Hellions Staging Theater, aka Purgatory, which is a fitting name for this band of misfits and their quest for redemption. We have, and, and, and Flickman, let me know if I'm missing anyone. We have Havoc, Psylocke, Wildchild, 
Nanny, Orphan Maker, and Grey Crow. Sitting around and basically recapping everything that's happened so far in the crossover. I don't, I don't think they say anything of substance, do they? Yeah, not really. Just uh, some small talk about recapping what, what's going on and uh, what their role is going to be in it. Okay. And then meanwhile, at Bar Sinister, this is probably my favorite scene in this issue. Sinister is not having the council's decision uh, about sending him off into uh, the suicide mission. And Dethal's a clone to send in his place. The clone is like, WTF, I'm brand new. I shouldn't be sent on this suicide mission. Also, where the heck is my cape? Uh, the clone and Sinister then play Paper, Rock, Scissors in order to see who will go on the aforementioned suicide mission. But most importantly, who will keep the cape? Alas, we don't know the outcome. Because the next scene, the Hellions are assembled at the Avalon Gate, where they're reunited with Empath, who discovers it's Grey Crow who killed him, and also Sinister, who may or may not be a clone, but is sporting that iconic cape nonetheless. They travel through Avalon, and they end up before King Jamie, where Sinister convinces Jamie via promising him some black market clones, clones to let them pass through Avalon. In order to honor this deal, our mad king tells our mad scientist he must take this beautiful white horse known as Princess Silkmane. Um, that's an awesome name. I wish I had a majestic white horse named Silkmane. Uh, an excited orphan maker is like, yes, yes, yes. And this is... A pony, real- pony, pony, pony. Pony, pony, pony. Can a- I keep him? This is an adorable moment for him because he's just a little kid who wants a pony. Sinister, of course, because he is an asshat, refuses this majestic steed. And Jamie's like, eh, then no deal. Sinister is like, fine, and agrees. But Jamie is like, I myself want something in return. The next scene, we open up, and poor Sinister is sans cape, because uh, Jamie snatched it. Avalon guards then stop the Hellions, and we find out that Princess Silkmane is actually stolen and belongs to the queen herself, Saturnine. This is treason of the highest order. But in order to get out of this mess, Sinister strikes a deal with Empath, who, again, is being a total tool and refuses to help. What deal do they strike? Well, Empath wants Grey Crow to be his pet. A fitting form of justice for shooting him, I suppose. So that's where our issue ends. The Hellions go along their merry way, and Grey Crow is joyfully skipping along down the path, enthralled by Empath. Flickman, what did you think of this issue? Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I've had some feels about the Hellion series overall so far. Um, most of them positive. Um, so yeah, I, I really actually, uh, enjoyed this issue. Um, I love the opening pages that, uh, recall the first scenes in House of X, where we first see the resur- resurrection protocols in action. Um, you know, that, the silent pages with, uh, the X-Men bursting out of their, their, their eggs covered in gold goo. Um, yeah, that's a gnarly scene. It took me a second there, uh, cause the art looks like it was right ripped right from House of X. Right, and of course that was, I'm, I'm sure, intentional so that they can then flip that almost like religious ceremony scene totally on its head by having Impact bust out and just being a huge douche from the word go. Oh, he desecrates the entire resurrection like ceremony. He like, he's spitting everywhere. He's spitting in Professor X's face. He's spitting on the floor and he's like, I don't want that ceremony where people are screaming mutants, mutants and proud brother and sisters. So you're like, I'm not having it. Peace. Yeah. Like even Xavier, who's been called a saint by characters over the years, it's like, and eh, no thanks. You know, hope you got this right. And of course she has no interest in it either. I think it's just a really great scene with all three characters. They're all given, um, like, peace do- out some nice personality gets to be shown in that scene. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, you know what, I'm sorry to cut you off. You know what I really do like about this? It's for, for a while now we've been seeing like the villains are all just playing nice on Krakoa. Like everyone seems to be in harmony. Right. But we actually see right now, no, some villains are like, no, I'm like F this. Still like, villainous. Still villainous. So that's great. I love seeing that. 
I loved it. I loved it. And you know what else I loved? The Quiet Council scene um, is actually probably my favorite of the Quiet Council scenes so far. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's one of the more animated conversations where not everybody's just kind of agreeing with each other. There's actually some some lively debate where these characters get to show their differences and act a little bit, as like you said, more in character. Um, and I kind of like that Sinister isn't quite as clever as he thinks he is in that scene. Um, and, you know, that kind of spills over to the following scenes where he doesn't seem to have much control over his own clones or the situation with Jamie and Avalon. And it's just like, for a character who's such an iconic schemer, uh, his schemes don't seem to be working out so well here, do they? No, he's just, you know, I, I know we've talked about this before, that it was during the Extinction team that they introduced this very flamboyant, was it Gary and Killian? Uh, uh, Karen Gillen. Karen Gillen, sorry. Um, where they introduce this very over-the-top, you know, flamboyant form of Sinister and obviously carried through to Hickman's Secret Wars. I, I love seeing him like this. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I love having that version of the character, but with his ridiculous cape and having that version of the character being obsessed with his ridiculous cape because it makes so much sense. It makes Sinister so much more interesting as a character yeah he's just not this doomsday character with a genetic fetish cloning gene and like being obsessed with like the perfect specimen the but summer's bloodline the summer's bloodline um but you know what i really did love about the quiet council scene just to go back uh, a few i loved when he was here like look at that emma frost agrees someone should tell her face that I right. the shade to Emma. God. I mean, is it shade to Emma or is her face just like <laughs> so much Botox or plastic surgery that she can't like eat. I think she's the ultimate shade there because her face says it all. You can't pull a fast one on Emma Grace Frost. Emma Grace Frost. Um, yeah, so you know, the rest of the issue I was just kind of positioning the Hellington Otherworld where I guess they'll need to be for the next phase of this crossover. Um, and I enjoyed all of that too. I think this team has an interesting dynamic um, that I've really enjoyed so far, and I'm curious to sort of see, you know, which one of these guys gets killed in Otherworld because this is a team of D-listers. So I think if anyone's going to die, where they're going to pull a Caliban and Messiah Complex and they're, they're going to kill one of these guys. I don't know. I don't know. But we know there's dead bodies and this cast is full of the kind of characters that make those perfect kinds of sacrificial lambs. Oh, I hope no one dies. Um, you know, overall, I thought the issue was, was funny. It was well-paced. It definitely, it could have lingered and it didn't, but... You know, I have a hard time digesting Hellions as a book, as a concept, as a whole. Um, for starters, I just don't think that the Quiet Council, even as a Hail Mary, would send um, <laughs> the Hellions off to cheat and risk the fate of Krakoa and the world with these unstable mutants. And, and also, I think the concept is a little too X-Force-y. I, I feel X-Force is the one who's doing the covert missions, uh, pulling the, the shady shit behind the scenes. It, yeah, look, but... Go ahead. No, 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 please go. I know you have well, thought. I, I think, you know, you said earlier, we don't usually get to see the villains being villains and we kind of see everybody acting all positive, happy, and samey on Krakoa. So I think, you know, whether it is a stretch of logic, I mean, sure, what, what X-Men comic book isn't, I think it... it, it it really works, I think, in the line because it's one of the only books that has a super unique cast and perspective. I don't know. I think it, it just works for me. I think look, it, look, 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 look. I, I, I was prepared to throw down, but I think the key word uh, was their villains, whereas X-Force is probably anti-heroes or, or heroes with questionable moral choices, but nonetheless, they have all the best intention. Uh, intentions in the world this is 100% villains being villains having to save the world and they can give a flying fuck um, if they get captured in other world uh, they need to, like what's in it for them you know like empath empath that scene with empath where he's here like oh why am I going to help you I hate you as much as these people hate you and right. fair fair so you know what 
Uh, I'll give you that. I, I, it, it's now clicking for me. So I guess my last question before, before we move on to New Mutants, uh, just hearkening back to, to my prediction that someone on this cast may, may be in danger. Pick someone, who would it be? Um, who do I think has to die? Look, I love everyone in this cast. I don't, after what happened with Madeline, I, I can't, I can't have another mutant not resurrected. And, you know, Rock Slide for me, I know you have feels on Rock Slide, but, you know, Rock Slide for me is like, okay, you know, I wasn't too attached to him. But look, if I had to pick someone, begrudgingly, I'm going to say Nanny. I think I agree with you because even if she doesn't get brought back, that gives Orphan Maker a new arc. You know what I mean? That gives him a, is he going to become like a wild child? You know, is Psylocke going to become his new nanny? Like, is she going to wind up being the stand-in mother for the wayward youths of the Hellions? I don't know. I don't know. I think it'd be an interesting uh, dynamic there, but... It'll force him to grow up. And I agree. Right with you and and it could it could humanize this very creepy relationship right well we could speculate about hellions all day but we do have two more issues of the tennis words crossover to address let's do it so let's dive into chapter seven of the ten of swords crossover which is new mutants number 13 which is written by ed brisson with gorgeous art by rod rice um the book opens with Magic meditating on a Krakoan cliff before contacting her co-captain Cyclops and Teen Cable, who are still off-world at the Peak Station. Magic informs them that Cable and his sword, the Light of Galador, need to return for the Tournament of Swords right away. The Summer's Men agree that they'll be there ASAP before Magic ends the conversation with a bit of speaking in code about making some sort of plan with Cyclops. From there, we jump to Doug Ramsey, a.k.a. Cypher, hanging out with his self-friend Warlock. Now, remember, for some reason, it's supposed to have been a secret that Warlock was around, even though Doug's arm has clearly been techno-organic since the start of House of X. And we know from Polaris speaking in tongues that Warlock is his sword. So, like, I'm curious. Do you think anyone is surprised by the revelation that Warlock is around? I mean, really? I mean... (sighs) I thought, it was obvious. I thought it was obvious. It, it, it's completely obvious, but... Come on, X-Men, get your head out of Krokoa's ass. Right. Incredibly obvious what's going on that they didn't notice. But anyway, uh, Warlock then turns into a sword and Doug starts struggling to wield it, just as the resident swordswoman of the team, uh, Magic, walks up and our first sword training montage begins. So great, so great. Uh, Next we jump to the Quiet Council scene. Uh, Post Sinister's proposal in Hellions, we see him walking out somewhat exacerbated. Uh, And Doug and Krakoa are questioning whether he's really up for this tournament with Xavier giving him a somewhat unsuccessful pep talk that really just amounts to well, I don't want any of my students to get hurt, so let's just hope Sinister cheats successfully. (laughs) Uh, No, Xavier. There, we jump to another training montage with Magic. Uh, She's thoroughly kicking the crap out of Doug um, before Krakoa himself puts a stop to her. Uh, Since the island won't be around to protect him once the fighting starts, Magic wisely tells Doug to stick close to her and she'll do what she can for him. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time recapping ahead of the discussion. Um, So I'll just say that from there, Doug goes on to have two important conversations uh, before taking his place on the corpse of Rockslide with the other champions of Krakoa. Uh, The first conversation was with Exodus, who essentially says, with resurrection halted, I could kill you and take your place, and there's nothing anyone can stop me. Savage. Another conversation with Krakoa via Mondo's stomach in another creepy scene, um, telling him that Exodus was right and he cannot go. But Doug is determined to prove himself here and says that he might be terrified, but he has to do this. And so we end the, the book with Doug taking his place alongside the three other champions of Krakoa already assembled on the corpse of Rockslide, Magic, Wolverine, and storm. Woo! 
Dun, dun, dun. Tell me, what, what did you make of, of this firmly middle chapter of uh, Ten of Swords? Okay, it's firmly middle chapter, but I loved it. I love the training scenes with Magic and Doug Ramsey. I think Doug Ramsey is the best he's been in a while. Um, Zeb Wells brought him back into Crocia, and I love the character. I've loved the character since. And I think we, we get to see a couple of things that make Doug tick. I mean, he's very insecure that people see him as just a language decoder, uh, just as a brain that he's actually capable of fighting. And we see that he can read body language really well, and he's able to fight in his own unique way. So I have two things uh, to say about that. One in support of what you've said and one um, against it. So it wouldn't be a Saturday morning unless we disagreed. Right. That's a shame. We can't do this in person. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I agree with you why he would be hesitant because he's died before. Let's not forget that Doug Ramsey spent the entirety of nineties and the early aughts dead. Dead. Oh, his, you know, hesitation is thoroughly understandable here. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just got a flash to Kitty phasing through into his coffin and seeing his skeleton with the blonde see for herself. Oh my God. And that, that's, that's pretty dark. That's some dark stuff. Let me get some more coffee. Uh, Okay. So the reason that I disagree is because think about second coming who, stopped the Nimrod invasion. That was Doug. That was Doug. He did his coding thing and he completely thwarted Bastion's Nimrod. And Nimrod is, you know, in canon, is one of the toughest villains for the X-Men to defeat. And Doug single-handedly took down an army of them and saved the X-Men by himself, essentially. So... He's, done, he's sort of been in this position before where he's had all of this pressure on him and he's performed, he's achieved and everyone around him should, remember, should be remembering that and being like, yeah, but I understand, but remember when you were this badass and you helped us in that way? And I think that's a, there's a missed opportunity there. There's someone should, rather than just tearing him down, someone should be giving him a, a pep talk based on the results he's already achieved in a situation like this. You know what I mean? No, I agree. I agree. And again, that leads into what I was saying before, that he has the ability to read body language. He, he doesn't just read literal language. He can read architecture. He can read uh, body movements. And yeah, I think they're, 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 they're selling him short. And I agree. Have a little more faith in Doug. Like, have a little bit more faith. In, have a little bit more faith in Doug. Um, Beautiful. You know, you're welcome. Um, look, but overall, I like the issue. It does answer for me why in, was it X-Men 7, where they did the Crucible, and Cyclops looks at Krakoa, Doug, and Warlock, and then there's that beat with the art where it looks like he blinks, and then Warlock is gone. Uh, I guess that answers it. I don't know why Warlock would be uh, a secret on Krakoa. Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. They, you know, We know Warlock is alive. We know Doug is alive. And it just makes sense to me that they'd be hanging out together as they always have. Yeah, I just, and and wouldn't, uh, I don't know, Cerebro or any of the security protocols, Black Tom, know that there is a techno-organic being on the island? Yeah, Krakoa itself should should know. Like, it, it, Maybe, I mean, look, maybe Doug... Reveal if it's meant to be a reveal. Yeah, maybe Doug... And look, and they say... Did they say in one of the data pages they know this is, like, not a well-kept secret? But um, I don't know. I I really think... I really think it's something that's not shocking. The only thing I can speculate is that Doug is messing with the the security system and prohibiting anyone from picking him up. And he, yeah, he could have had his BFF Krakoa covering this up the whole time. Yeah, I, I feel Krakoa knows. Krakoa has to know. But um, I think. Well, yeah, especially Krakoa knows because we're sitting here. I'm looking at page 17, and Doug is sitting in front of a big tree with a Krakoa face with Warlock out in the open. So, Krakoa- yeah, and, and again, in that issue of the Crucible, he was sitting right next to Krokoa. Warlock was sitting. Right. With- but I, I guess the only thing I can think of is that there's going to be, there's something happening with the phalanx. There's an imminent threat 
to 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 they, the mutants via the they family. were a big part of powers of uh, of ten. That's right. So maybe there's just something brewing there that's going to come to fruition a little later on. Again, my 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 qualms with the Hickman era is that we're getting a lot of plot, a lot of great plot, but again, I'm nervous about all of this stuff being followed through on or coming to fruition. I I, I want it. I'm I'm happy to sit on. Uh, on this roller coaster, but again, one of the curses of reading these books weekly in real time as they were published is, well, what, what's what's the bigger picture here? I have just just three words about about a potential place this could be going, and I oh. think like Phalanx Covenant Two. Yes, yes, absolutely. Bring it on. Bring it on. I'm I'm here for it. I want a sequel to that. Absolutely. My last bit here uh, is if that that happens, I want to see Rod Rice draw it because his warlock here in this issue is the best warlock we've had since Sienkiewicz back in the 80s, I I think. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So uh, that's really all there is to say on New Mutants. Do you want to lead us into the last issue of uh, crossover this week? Oh, Flickman, of course I do. And you know I do. We are going to talk about chapter eight of Ten of Swords, which is issue number five of Cable. Our writer is Jerry Duggan, and our art is by Phil Noto. We open with a cute Summer's family scene of Gene, Kid Cable, and Cyclops walking through Sword. Cyclops calls Cable out for his gun usage and not practicing his psychic abilities. How very slim of him. And they decide to separate because that's always a good idea when you're walking through a haunted facility. Cyclops sticks with Kid Cable and Gene flies solo. The scene you mentioned earlier in New Mutants with Ileana comes back again, but just from a different perspective. Or I think it's just her calling again, blowing up his calm, being like, uh, Kid Cable, we need you back here on Krokoa because you're in possession of the light of Galador and the champions are assembling. They must haste because the fate of Krokoa, nay, the world hangs in the balance and they're just neandering on the sword station. Meanwhile, Jean encounters an agent of S.W.O.R.D. who is possessed by some dark space demon known as the Viscora. And he tells Jean that the Viscora took down the entire S.W.O.R.D. facility. And then the possessed S.W.O.R.D. agent kills himself by opening the airlock. I thought that was very brutal and very Battlestar Galactica of, of him. Gene then reunites with Kid Cable and Cyclops just in time to take on the Viscora who come through a gate in the science lab Cable and Cyclops were in. We have some awesome art and a fight scene. I think Noto just nails it here. The way Gene uses her powers, I was, I was gagging. I, I love every instance of her power effects here. The bright pink, the glowing around the eyes, I, all that, it, it's rendered very beautifully. Yeah, the shot of the sword facility in dark and her, you know, and the Viscora taking over and then just her little psychic signature, that panel in particular was absolutely beautiful. So because um, Jean is the one true hero of the X-Men, she's like, we need to kill the generator in order to stop the Viscora and uh, tells Cable to go remove his sword from the generator. And folks... I'm not biased at all. Jean was right. As always, Jean Grey is correct and her plan works. I'm going to let you have it just because <laughs> I feel like this has been one of the better Jean appearances of the years. Yeah, I'm not biased at all when I'm doing my recaps for Jean. Not biased at all. But uh, the entire facility goes dark and the Viscora are subdued for now. And then we cut to Kid Cable arriving on Krakoa with the other champions. He's renamed his sword the Light of Krakoa. And Magic is like, nope, you're not allowed to rename your sword. And he takes his place with the other champions, which include Magic herself, Doug, Wolverine, and Storm. We then get a cute little scene of Jean, Cyclops, and Magic. And they're having a little telepathic conversation about keeping an eye on Nathan. They all kind of smile and Kid Cable's like, what are all you smiling at? And it ends on a very cute 
hopefully promising note. I, I got to tell you, I don't want any of these champions to die. All the champions assembled right now, I love these characters. I don't want anything to happen to them. So, uh, Flickman, what do you think of this issue? Well, yeah, first, I want to say that the Phil Noto art in this issue is just incredible. Incredible. Not only is it some of the best of the crossover, um, just the, the crossover so far, it's, it's some of the best of the entire uh, Dawn, of, Dawn of X era. So um, props to Phil Noto. And I know we were debating this Gene look a little earlier when we were talking Marvel Legends, mm. but I really think it looks amazing here. I like that it so, sort of has this baggier fit that I think sort of completely negates uh, the argument that I often see that this is a look designed for the male gaze. Um, and I just love it. I love it. I think Jean looks great. So props to your girl this week. I, I <laughs> she was fantastic. I, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell too much on that, you know, the male gaze and the art, but I think that, I think you nailed exactly why I have a qualm with this, with this outfit and, but don't you think it was rendered well here? Oh, it was rendered beautifully. Look, inherently, I have nothing against the costume. I, I love this costume. I think it's outdated. I just don't think a, a heroine in today's world would wear this. I, and, and, and it's coupled with the fact, again, this is just me being a Gene fan and interpreting uh, things with a tinted uh, biasness to it. You know, we, the most we've seen of Gene is in the kitchen, making food in this outfit. And... Yeah, fair. I mean, look, I know she. Uh, you know, she's had her. I, I've sports. seen, I've seen a range of cosplayers do this, do this look, um, all the way up to you know, like a drag cosplayer like Daxclamation Point. Um, yes. I really don't think I think you know women and and, and queens across the board uh, respond to this look. So you know, I don't maybe not the most practical, but. Um, I think women really love this look too, is, is, is what I'm saying. To end the conversation, because I can go on, I will just say this. If this is Jean wanting to wear this outfit and it's not some editorial decision that she somehow backed, re-backed up a previous version of herself that's pre-Phoenix and this is actually the Jean we know, empowered and loves this costume, then I'm all for it. That's it. Perfect. Well, moving on from, from Jean's miniskirts. <laughs> All right, so here's where I'm at with this whole Summer's Happy Family dynamic. All right, go for it. This is really encompassing all of it. I'm talking um, what happens in this issue, you know, the full family dinners on the moon, dad clops, mom jeans, all of it. Um, you know, on the one hand, I love to see it, you know. I, it's like kind of fulfilling this weird fantasy that I, that I didn't know I had for these characters because it's just never been obtainable and it's never been like this at all. Um, and then on the other, sort of because it's never, it, sort of because it has never been like this, I do feel kind of cheated uh, because we skip past the why and the how of things got this way. It's like suddenly everyone is happy and nesting and it, it, it can come across the majority of the time as if they're kind of pod people, you know, like. Yeah, absolutely. And my friend Lux, I have to give him credit for this. Uh, he kind of pointed out to me that even though we see them operating as a family uh, unit, um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of love or passion between Cyclops and Jean Grey. If you look at, you know, page five, they have their, their cute little dynamic about the telepath and the family and whatnot. But then uh, when it's time to split up, all we get between Scott and Jean is stay safe, you too. It just, it feels very cold. The whole, this whole dynamic feels... I don't know if it's not supposed to be pod people-esque. They're really not selling me on that. Well, my thing about that scene, that scene of them being like, stay safe, you too. Um, I read it as very cold as well, but I also read it as who the fuck cares if they die? They can be resurrected. Like they, they have- oh, resurrection protocols are on hold. Well, do they know this? Because they're not on, they left Krakoa before all this madness, right? I guess they, they did. Were they not- but they're eventually going to be resurrected. Okay, look, they're, they're not going to... Gene and Cyclops will not not be resurrected if they die. Even if they knew full well that protocols were on hold, they weren't terminated, they're just on hold. Well, let's just hope they don't die in other world then. But I agree with you. I want to I wanna, I wanna wholeheartedly say here publicly, you are right. Because, yes. Yes, because here's the thing. Okay, 
Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. So one, Kid Cable is introduced uh, via killing Old Man Cable, which is a version of Cable Gene and Cyclops are most familiar with. And secondly, Madeline Pryor, Cable's real mom, was just back. She died and they refused to resurrect her. This entire family unit is built on a lie. It's Lies. Lies of Manelli. Deception, murder. I mean, it is... Of course, they're going to be cold. They're emotionally burnt people. They're sociopaths. They, they literally- Cyclops especially is a sociopath. So I'm sorry. I, I agree with you. There's so many beats. I, I agree. I love seeing them as a family unit. I love seeing them interacting. But um, you kind of killed his OG mom. Uh, and Cable, like, you know, it's old man cable is, is dead because I mean, we know he's not dead, but they think he's dead. So far as they know, yeah. So as far as they know. And it's, I don't know. It just feels like this family has a lot of issues they need to iron out before we can get this kind of like functioning unit. That's right. all I'm and, saying. And I'd say the biggest issue here is if they're trying to work out their family drama and operate more as a family unit, where the hell's Rachel? I mean, we know she's on Krakoa, you know, facilitating Polaris speaking in tongues or something, uh, but <laughs> nice to see her here. It would have been nice. That was kind of a blip of something for her to do, which I know just a couple episodes ago, I, I said I really liked and that she was getting focused. And of course I, I still do, but I think she could have pulled double duty here. And it's kind of a shame that if they're going to give us this cute family issue, they don't have both kids involved. Okay. Well, um, I agree. I agree. So how do we feel about the books this week? Um, you know, like I said, uh, with New Mutants, it was firmly a middle chapter. Uh, you can feel that. You know, it didn't necessarily move the plot forward too much, but I thought, you know, the overall plot, but I thought all three issues set up either uh, good plot threads or good character dynamics. Like, I definitely love the idea of the Hellions being shady in Otherworld. That's fun. Um, I enjoyed the family's summer outing on the peak. That was fun. I think that's going to set up, um, you know, the, the Scora are probably going to come back into play at some point. Um, and then I love the character dynamics set up between Magic and Doug in New yeah. Mutant. So three issues, uh, three different setups for three different plots that uh, I really think I'm going to enjoy if they execute them well. Yeah, I agree. I think Hellions number five was fun. It was funny. New Mutants was my favorite this week. I, I loved it. I thought it was a great issue. I think, I think we dove deep into Doug, his relationship with magic. We got, you know, Mondo, a great scene with Mondo there. And it was just really, really great to see him interact with Exodus. I just, it was just a fun, this is why we love the X-Men because there's so many of them with so many different personalities. And Cable number five, you know, the thing about Cable number five that I was thinking about as I was recapping it, not a lot happens, but I, it, it's nice to see the Summers clan kind of functioning. It, it establishes more of the dynamic that they've, that they've teased at the beginning of the Dominic's. Like they teased the family dinners at Summers' house. They teased... Yeah. Scott and Cable acting as, you know, going hunting together, but they yeah. haven't really done a whole lot with it since. So it was nice to check in on that, even if, you know, it didn't actually move a whole lot forward. The art by Phil Noto is just great. It's beautiful. I mean, the art all around is great this week. I, I just, right. but Phil Th Noto. That's what I was going to say is, you know, I don't think I could pick a favorite this week. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be ridiculously diplomatic for a change here. I think all three, like I said, set up really interesting uh, plot threads. I think all three had really beautiful, really distinct art that still somehow flowed in the grand mm -hmm. scheme of a crossover, which isn't always the case, which you know I love the Dodsons, but I am going to agree with you. The transitions in Second Coming from Mike Choi to the Dodsons was, was very rough. It's jarring. It's jarring. It's jarring. And, and it's jarring. Not only was it jarring, they weren't on the same page editorially, you know? Like, right. It just didn't make sense. Like they, they were telling the characters were in different costumes, different positions. And this one, they're flowing nicely, editorially speaking. Right, right. So, you know, I, I can't believe I just threw shade at the Dodson. Sorry, sorry, Terry and Rachel. Um, but, but it, it, it just hate you. a long way to show that they may have actually benefited from the pandemic 
lead in. Like, I think we're getting better art, more coherent stories that probably tie together a little bit better because they had a little bit more time. So um, I love them all equally, I think. And I am shocked at how coherent and interesting this crossover is so far. I agree. I agree. 100%. And I'm really looking forward to more next week, but I, I, I will tell you, I'm glad we're only getting two. <laughs> That's right. Next week, we're going to be discussing Excalibur number 13 and X-Men number 13. You know what I just realized, though? Would that all of these issues are at 13? Well, no, that number 13. But also, um, we have a non-Ten of Swords book next week that I believe I'm going to force you to go back and catch up on. And that is Juggernaut number two. That's right. You know, I keep forgetting because it, it doesn't come up on my pull list. But yeah, I'm absolutely going to read Juggernaut and we'll discuss Juggernaut number two. And, and we'll, we'll recap number one as well. It was fabulous. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Folks, this is Dayspring from the future. And I have traveled through time and space just to let you guys know that next week's episode is looking a little different. You can blame Mother Skinny for messing with the time stream, but I'm going to let Flickman let you guys know what we have in store for you next week. All right, so before we go, we've got some super exciting news to share with you all. Next week's episode is going to be a very, very special one because we're not only hosting our very first special guests, we're hosting a pair of literal X-Men in training. From the 1996 Generation X TV movie, we'll be talking to Heather McComb and Randall Slavin, a.k.a. the iconic Jubilee and Refrax. It's going to be so much fun, so make sure you subscribe to us right now if you haven't already, because you're definitely not going to want to miss this. All right, that's this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Generations of X. Or send any questions, comments, or concerns to generationsofx at gmail.com. I am the Uncanny Dayspring. And I am the Adjectiveless Flinkman. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Thank <laughs> you.